This is Bucks First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. 2-0. and President Trump at this point when it comes to official efforts to remove him from office. But if you were to add up all the different schemes, all the artifices, all the mechanisms, all the ambushes, the crazy stuff that the libs tried to get rid of this president, I don't even know what the number would be, but dozens and dozens of the Trump would be 50 and zero at this point. So they had a second impeachment. What exactly was this for? That's what everybody now looking at this has to ask. Why did they try this? Why did they go to these lengths, abuse the system in this way for yet another unsuccessful impeachment and removal effort? I know impeachment work. That's just because they have a simple majority in the House. This means if the, if the standard is we have the votes, so we will impeach, uh, it, it will debase this process into oblivion. And, and at some level, I do believe that is what the Democrats are planning here. I, I think that's what has happened, whether they recognize it, maybe or not. Um, anytime somebody has the votes, they may decide, you know, you know, what would really slow down and mess up this presidency if we were to just go all out. And impeach. What for? We'll find something. You can always find something, right? This is like that old line about how a, an aggressive enough prosecutor can, ind- can get a grand jury to indict a ham sandwich. You'll, you'll always find something. What did they find this time around? Well, they had the appalling, appalling uh, approach of the president was, citing, was inciting an insurrection, claiming that Donald Trump ordered an overthrow of the United States government. Now, that's just not true. You know, was there was there overheated rhetoric? Yes. Was the president going too far with some of his election claims based on what he could prove? Absolutely. Was it a a tense political moment that people should have allowed cooler heads to prevail? I'm talking about before January 6th. Yes. But did Donald Trump order an overthrow of the United States government, a de facto coup so he could be in power? No. And this whole scam that Democrats were engaged in, they're manipulating the the evidence that's being presented. Remember, this is not actually a court, so they can do whatever they want. And they did. But enough people saw through it. I know there are a handful of Republicans who, who went along with this, but we've always known there are these extreme never Trumpers. They've been around from the very beginning and they are willing to assist the Democrats in the destruction of the entire Republican Party, if that's what it comes to, in order to take down Trump. Anything to get Trump. And now I think there's a concern among so many on the left, certainly in the news media. What do they do now? Now, they don't have Donald Trump as, as quite the boogeyman that he had been for them for, for four years. They can't just run night after night insane stories about how Donald Trump is actually a Russian asset. They can't just continue on here and pretend that he's still the most powerful man in the world. No, that job, thanks to the Democrats and all their schemes and lies and misrepresentations during the 2020 election, that job is in Joe Biden's hands. And we're already seeing what a disaster that is. This guy can't tie his own shoes, it seems. Never mind run the country. 
And all of the actual decision making that's happening so far comes straight out of the left wing playbook. There's no unity. There's no down the center. There's no, oh, we're going to be technocrats who are just going to show people what good governance looks like. This is ideologically based stuff. That's what they're doing. That's what they're going with. And I see this now and I say. It's a moment where we have to just say, look at what President Trump has been through. Look at what they've put this president through. And now think about how much he's had to do here, how much he's had to withstand even after leaving office. And it's a it's a model in a sense. It's it's a uh, a preview, I think, of what we should expect going forward. Uh, Democrats will just never stop. They don't get tired of this. You know, they're they're like the ideological terminator. They they don't feel pity or fear or remorse. They just keep coming and coming. They will not stop until they get what they want or until someone stops them until they're defeated clearly resoundingly at the ballot box and just also in our political culture. I mean, we, we have to start winning some major arguments here. And the greatest asset that the Republican Party has is Democrats getting to do what they actually want to do. Democrats are much better at just running around calling Republicans racists and white supremacists and tools of Wall Street and all these other smears, these slanders that have nothing to do with anything when it comes to policy. They're much better at that when they're actually in charge. What you see already from Joe Biden is incompetence. And you see ideologically based decision making that no reasonable, no rational person could think is a good idea, but they do it anyway. They do it anyway. There were there was really very little question here that Trump was going to beat the second impeachment of a president. I mean, he's the most impeached president in history, and the most acquitted president in history. And maybe they should have thought long and hard, the Democrats, about what they were doing the first time around, because I think that really hurt them this time. I think that anybody with good faith approaching this would have to look at what happened with Democrats this time around as an extension of what they had already tried, which was the destruction of a presidency based on a phone call that led to nothing, that broke no laws, that did nothing. And if anything, we know now was even more correct than we had initially anticipated. Some troubling things, though. This is not over. I don't just mean the battle for the future of this country. I don't just mean some of these specific uh, some of these specific constitutional issues and the way the Democrats are abusing them. I mean, it's not over uh, for Donald Trump either. In good ways and in bad ways. Uh, They have not given up on this yet. Mitch McConnell, who clearly despises Donald Trump and is in many ways the, the single biggest example of the establishment uh, you know, establishment Republican. I mean, I would say Rhino, but guys, you know, on the judges, he does some things well. I know right right now the, the, the most popular thing to say would be Mitch McConnell is awful on everything. He's bad on Trump. He's good on judges. Credit where it's due. I keep it real, even when I know some people are going to wince. Oh, I know I wince, too. But Mitch McConnell's not awful on everything. He's just not. Cocaine Mitch did some good things, but he hates Trump. And some people lost their patience with Trump because the guy's 
decision making, particularly about personnel. I mean, he says he hires the best people. That's actually untrue. Now we can all say it right now. We're all a family. You're listening to me all across the country. Trump hires the worst people, generally speaking. Trump has some of the worst instincts for who to put in positions of authority and power around him of any human being I've ever seen in my entire life. Just a fact. It's just obvious. But was he a fighter? Did he do a lot for the country just by exposing the crazy left? Was his presidency up until COVID a resounding success? I think the answers to all of that are yes. But Mitch McConnell still very upset. Here he is, play 20. Former President Trump's actions preceded the riot were a disgraceful, disgraceful dereliction of duty. There's no question, none, that President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. No question about it. The people who stormed this building believed they were acting on the wishes and instructions of their president. And having that belief was a foreseeable consequence of the growing crescendo of false statements, conspiracy theories, and reckless hyperbole, which the defeated president kept shouting into the largest megaphone on planet Earth. He didn't take steps so federal law could be faithfully executed and order restored. No. Instead, according to public reports, he watched television happily. Happily. If President Trump were still in office, I would have carefully considered whether the House managers proved their specific charge. But in this case, the question is moot because former President Trump Trump is constitutionally not eligible for conviction. So Mitch falling back here on the process argument, which many were making all along. I also think the Democrats overreached. I really mean this. I mean, I, I mean, everything I say, but this in particular deserves emphasis that going for the incitement to insurrection charge was too far. But they did that for a reason, which I'll get to in a moment. Why were they overreaching? And they had to know it at some level because this is about more than Trump. That's why I'm still talking to you about this. This isn't over. And I'll explain why. But we had Cassidy uh, Murkowski. Here are the people that voted for. For a conviction in the Senate. Susan Collins of Maine, Ben Sass, of course, of Nebraska, Richard Burr of North Carolina, Patrick Toomey of Pennsylvania, uh, Murkowski of Alaska, Mitt Romney of Utah. I think I, I think I got him. So there you go. Seven of them voted to convict the president, pre- prevent him from running again. Um, they're not done chasing Trump. You have to remember that, even if he doesn't plan on running. They went for the incitement to insurrection charge for a very specific reason. And it's to create a perception that we are all part of, that anybody who supports Trump is tainted by this effort at insurrection. That's really the bottom line here. That's actually what we see. That's why they went for that charge, because it stays even after this trial is over. It's now... A slander. It's it's a phrase that they will deploy against Trump supporters and against the president himself. They've already brought up the possibility of a criminal trial for Donald Trump now as a private citizen, which I know they'd love to do that, but it would be 
laughable in terms of how unlikely they were to get a conviction, a criminal trial. And there's also the possibility that they would have a, a civil suit against him. They want to continue this. And then there's the talk of a 9-11 style commission or maybe even a truth commission. Let's talk about what that will look like. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Senator Coons, you just heard Congresswoman Dean right there on the necessity of a 9-11 commission. You agree? I do. George, this was a remarkable week, a powerful week. And I think the House managers, obviously Congresswoman Dean and Congressman Raskin and a very talented team, put on an incredibly compelling and powerful case. But there's still more evidence that the American people need and deserve to hear. And a 9-11 commission is a way to make sure that we secure the Capitol going forward and that we lay bare the record of just how responsible and how abjectly uh, violating of his constitutional oath President Trump really was. Senator Coons, also known as Mini-Me, for those of you who ever stood next to him, telling everybody here that there needs to be a 9-11 style commission. Treat this like a 9-11 level attack so that we can we can secure the Capitol. How many uh, violent incidents have there been at the Capitol since January 6th? How many more mobs? How, How many more threats, credible threats against the Capitol? Zero. And yet the National Guard is still deployed. In fact, as we know, the National Guard at a cost of about $500 million is supposed to be deployed well into March, and now there is even talk of keeping them there far longer than that. Why do we have the militarization of D.C.? Why are we still watching as Democrats act like the the capital uh, of the United States may be at any moment the site of a siege and an effort to overthrow, to actually overthrow the United States government and seize power? This is about a narrative This is about building a story that will allow for the suppression of voices that have nothing to do with the January 6th riot, but have everything to do with being opposition to Democrats. They're they're using this as the club that they will smash over the heads, so to speak, of anybody who stands in the way of this Biden administration, speaks the truth of the Biden administration. And so that's why they want to keep this going. Trump just beat it, right? He just won. He just won acquittal second time around in basically 12 months. Do you think that that stops them at all? No. Now they want to have some kind of a 9-11 stock commission. Others are talking about having a truth commission. Um, Oh, here we go. Representative Sarah Jacobs saying exactly that. Play one. So I think part of what we're seeing now is because we haven't really done the reckoning with the racial injustice and white supremacy of our past that we need to do. And so, you know, a truth commission, a lot of people will think of South Africa. We've used them in countries around the world. And basically what it is, is it's uh, communities all the way up to the national level having conversations about both the gory and the glory of our history and what happened both throughout the history of our country and leading up to and on January 6th so that we can come to a common narrative moving forward of what we want our country to be. Do you think the House and Senate leadership have the stomach for that? 
I think so. Look, we all were victims of this attack in addition to being the lawmakers of this country. And I know for a lot of us, this is very personal. We've had threats to our lives, threats to our homes and our families. And so I think that there are a lot of us who know that this impeachment trial was just the start of holding Donald Trump accountable, but that we need to make sure that we're doing accountability of anyone who incited, encouraged, or committed acts of violence. And then really looking forward at kinds of things like truth commissions, like democracy, like institution building that we know are going to be the real fixes to what we've seen in this country. Democrats encourage violence with BLM and Antifa all the time, all the time, constantly. No accountability for that whatsoever. They still they're still talking about, oh, yeah, you know, that's for justice. That's for justice. But they're really planning. And and I think we have to take this seriously. They're they're going to try to do this. They have the votes. They're going to turn Congress into this sideshow where they're still talking about Trump. If they have their way, there are going to be people like Adam Schiff with tears in their eyes talking about how terrible Trump was. And I still haven't recovered from Trump. And oh, my God. And that way they keep it going in the public's mind that we're under this constant threat. The troops in D.C., the the 9-11 style commission. The sense that at any moment, Trump, with his with his MAGA hordes, could descend upon D.C. and overthrow the government. This is lunatic level stuff, but they will convince people of it and they'll convince people of it so that folks like you and me can be silenced, suppressed, mistreated, surveilled people that just. You know, want to be left alone, don't want to wear five masks, want schools to be open, want lower taxes, don't want to pretend that men and women are the same, want to have women's sports still be a thing, don't think that climate change is going to end the world. None of that makes you a bad person. It makes you rational. But your rationality is an enemy of their agenda, and therefore you are an enemy. You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. What is next for the Republican Party, do you think? I mean, look, to be frank, a majority of the Senate, a majority of the House, a majority of the American people all agree with what you have said about Donald Trump, about the insurrection, about how he incited it. But a majority of the Republican Party voters do not feel that way. You know, I, I, that's true, Jake, but I think that that's going to change over time. I mean, let's, this is, we're only a, a, a month into the Biden administration. I think the, the final chapter of Donald Trump and where the Republican Party goes hasn't been written yet. And I think we're going to have uh, a real battle for the soul of the Republican Party over the next couple of years. And we're going to say, are we going to be a party that would, that can't win national elections again, that, that, that it loses the presidency, the House and the Senate in a four year period and loses governors and state legislative bodies? Or are we somehow going to get back to a, 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 a real traditional Republican Party, a common sense conservatives that want to argue and put up, you know, to, 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 to push for the things that we've always believed in and to try to compete with Democrats? Because I think that, a competitive two-party system is so important to our democracy and we're losing there's no question about that you know they always have this after democrats win an election the autopsy of the republican party thing that lasts about six months so just get used to this now they're going to want you to be really demoralized they're going to want you to believe that this is the end of the of the party that you've known and that everything that you voted for for the last four years, everything you believed in is gone. 
And I'm here to tell you that's all nonsense. It's not true. I remember back in even 2012, you know, you know what the, the, the consultant class of the GOP was saying? They were telling everybody that until Republicans could win, and it, I forget what it was, but it was a large percentage of the Latino vote, they were never going to win another national election. And then Donald Trump comes in and actually won a larger share of the white working class vote than, than GOP uh, candidates had in the past. And he won a huge election in 2016. So don't listen to the consultants and definitely don't listen right now. Just tune it out. I mean, we'll make fun of them here on the show, obviously, but but don't listen to the milk toast Republicans out there. You know, the, the Republicans that are just kind of meh because uh, they're going to get a lot of airtime right now. They're going to be given a lot of attention because they do what Democrats want. The controlled opposition is about to be elevated all over the place. That was Governor Hogan from Maryland on CNN. You'll see a lot of this Republicans who want to want to have that strange newfound respect. That's the phrase, right? That's a strange newfound respect emerging for Ben Sass of Nebraska after his vote to uh, remove Donald Trump from or well, to ban him from office was what it really would have been right to convict him in the Senate trial. A strange new respect for Senator Lisa Murkowski and, and so on. But none of those people are representative of where the Republican base is. None of those people speak for where the heart and soul of the Republican Party is right now. And that's exactly why they get the airtime they do. That's exactly why you'll be hearing from them. Because they they want, one, you to feel like your leaders now are these, these wimps, these nincompoops, who can't get anything done and who the Republican Party only tolerates insofar as they win in, you know, purple states. You know, Susan Collins in Maine comes to mind. I mean, they're better than the alternative in a certain place, but they by no means speak for the rank and file of the GOP. And I don't mean elected officials. I mean, people. I mean, you're you're run of the mill Republican. And this belief that that now we have to listen to all the all the consultants and all the the analysts who are so wrong about everything Trump. This is just this is all part of the propaganda games the Democrats will be playing. Here is a is a a vicious anti-Trumper and a and a surly and far less bright than he thinks he is fellow Charlie Sykes uh, talking about the the coming Republican civil war play three. And I think that you're going to see Donald Trump engage in a revenge tour that is going to make the, the split in the Republican Party even worse. You know, I did think that the Mitch McConnell's speech was extraordinary. I mean, it was clearly two-faced. It was clearly hypocritical. But he did step up and he got some things off of his chest. And the one thing that he made very, very clear was that Donald Trump may have been acquitted, but he was not exonerated, that he is still deeply damaged. So here's the question. You have these Republicans that hid behind a technicality. Almost none of them, with the exception of Lindsey Graham, defended Donald Trump or praised Donald Trump. He's damaged goods. So it's going to be somewhat difficult for them. They will be able to do it, though, because this is who they are, um, to turn around and say, yes, but we support Donald Trump. We think he's good for the country. Maybe we should have four more years. So this is going to be an interesting test for this political party here. There's a real gap between the institutional Republican Party in the Senate, led by Mitch McConnell, which has decided to move on from Trump, and the base, which for the moment, I think, is sticking with, with Donald Trump. But 2022 is going to be a Republican civil war, and I think they're going to have a problem 
in the general elections if they continue down this path. Now, not only does Sykes speak as a never Trumper, a, a spiteful never Trumper who who helped Democrats at every turn against Trump, but against the Republican Party as well. Not only is he saying all that, uh, there's something that's being left out of this analysis that I, I want everyone to be remembering as we go forward here. Something that's not going to not getting the attention that it should from all this. And that is uh, the Democrat Party, which we've already seen as they're talking about bans on on certain kinds of guns. Now, uh, we've already seen they're talking about uh, all. Ki- I mean, just all kinds of far left wing policy. Yeah, I think assault rifles are they're discussing. I mean, there's there's it's all just out there in the ether. They haven't really nailed down exactly what gun control measures they're going to take. But then you get to uh, climate change and you see how left wing they are on that on the border. These are not centrist policies. And now the big problem that they that the Democrats have is the American people are seeing they didn't have some great plan to stop covid. The Democrats didn't weren't sitting on some some magic strategy to make the country feel much better. No, in fact, they're bowing and begging and scraping for the teachers union. Oh, yes, teachers unions, whatever you need. I thought it was about the kids. No, it's never about the kids when teachers unions are involved because they are adults who give money to Democrats. And that's the single most important thing. Nothing matters to Democrats more than that. That brings me then to the issue of school reopen, right? So, so avoid the, the, the fake Republican or the, the controlled opposition Republican voices you're going to be hearing now um, are, are just useful for the other side. They are useful idiots for the Democrats. So that's one part. And then as, as for school reopening, this is where Democrats have become uh, vulnerable, finally, because they, everyone can see what's going on here. The data is very clear. There's really no contradictory information about this. It's very clear what should happen. They will not do it. They will not do what is necessary, which is to open schools. They're playing games. The CDC is involved in this as well. Bureaucrats, unions, Democrats. It's a very bad situation. Um, and, and then you have the, the Cuomo disaster. And it just keeps getting worse, which is great. And we're going to really dig into that shortly. But the, the Democrat Party, you have to understand that the, the Democrat Party is now calling the shots in all these different areas of COVID policy. And they're not making anything better. They didn't have any better ideas. And Fauci has, has exposed himself for anybody who didn't know this before. That little Papa Smurf bureaucrat, Fauci, has shown everybody that he's really a Democrat. I mean, he was so excited, so excited to go on Rachel Maddow's show. And, oh, it's great. I could speak truth now. And yeah, how's all that truth speaking working out for us? What exactly is a different policy? You know what the one thing they've said that's different is this year? Double mask. Which I, I know they can ban me from as many social media platforms. People can complain about me as much as possible. It's moronic. And if anyone disagrees with me, explain why we shouldn't triple mask, because it's just not that big a deal. It's no big deal. Go around, can't breathe, uncomfortable all day long. What's the problem? You don't want to go through life in constant discomfort because I'm a paranoid lunatic who's afraid. Ah! Triple mask. Triple mask or I don't want to hear it. That's my position. 
And then if you triple mask, I might have to think about quad masking because I think quad masking is probably the way to go. But here's Fauci showing you exactly who he is and what he's all about. Play eight. They, they are guidelines, but they're not requirements. How confident are you that the guidelines will be followed? And do school districts have the resources they need to reopen safely? Well, George, the second part of, of your question is really a good one. I think that the schools really do need more resources, and that's the reason why the National Relief Act that we're talking about getting passed, we need that. The schools need more resources. The things we didn't have before there wasn't that was there wasn't anything that was put down solidly on paper on saying these are the kind of things that you should consider these are the kind of things that you should follow i mean there was talk about it but it wasn't actually put down in a single document that you could access the teachers the educators and everyone else can i think it can be done i mean obviously it's not a perfect situation but it's really important to get the children back to school in as safe as way as possible safe for the children but also safe for the teachers and the other educators. You know what he's really saying? They need more money. Give the give give the the unions more money. Yeah, that's right. Give them more money. Oh, he says resources, more money. What does that have to do with the fact that schools are safe and have been open for months already when they're private and parochial schools? Did anyone throw them a whole lot of money? Did any did anyone give them resources? Hmm? No, they just went along with life and they're fine. We don't need new ventilation systems in the schools. We don't need to spend God knows how many billions of dollars. We don't need to be giving five year olds a new mask every day. This is lunacy. Open the damn schools. All of them. Now. They have no real real. We got to do it safely. Got to do it safe. What does that mean? Kids can go to school at any point in time and they could they can get the flu. They can get, you know, meningitis. They can get any number of things. Right. There's no such thing as perfect safety. I mean, kids are, are, are fine if they get covid and they basically don't transmit it. That means acceptable risk. That means it's fine. Go about your life. It's like we've all of a sudden handed experts like Fauci, experts like Fauci, the, the right to go around and tell everybody, hey, you know, you can't take, I don't care how bad your toothache is, you can't take Tylenol because it can kill you. Fact, some of these NSAIDs can cause uh, bleeding of the stomach and bleeding of the stomach could actually kill you. But that might happen to one person, you know, out of a million or, or less than that. I don't even know, but. And usually it only happens after you've done it for many years. You've been drinking heavily, drinking heavily while taking NSA. But there's still risk. Some people can have a very bad reaction. You can have a bad reaction to any medicine, any vaccine for that matter. That's just a fact. Do you not take any medicines because you could theoretically die from it? Do you, do you refuse to ever eat peanut butter because you could develop a an allergy? Or I know it's a legume, but you know, do, do, you, do you refuse to go near anything that has nuts in it because you might have an adult onset allergy and go into anaphylaxis and die? No, because that's not how you live your life. But this is what they're doing with the schools. They're creating these completely unrealistic, oh, safely. That's always a thing. It's got to be safe. It is safe right now. We all know it. But they're trying to hold kids hostage to get more money, more money out of the taxpayer. 
You know what they're going to do? They're going to have all this money that's supposed to be for COVID, COVID stuff and it'll be sitting in piles in these different school districts. And then when they don't use it for COVID because they don't have to, eh, maybe it goes in the teacher's OT. Maybe it goes into the pension plan. That's the game they're going to play. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, one, it would be unconstitutional. It would be a political attack against Florida. If you look, Maria, right now, you hear this debate over schools. Florida schools have been open the whole school year. We have every parent in Florida has the right to send their child to in-person instruction. Every worker has a right to work and earn a living and put food on their table. And every business has a right to operate. And consequently, our state is doing very well uh, compared to these other states in terms of education and economy. But we also have 26 other states in the District of Columbia that have higher per capita COVID mortality than we do. We have 28 states that have higher per capita cases than we do for the bulk of the pandemic. And if you look right now, states that are always held up by people in Biden's administration, like New York, have way higher per capita patients hospitalized for COVID right now. So there's no basis in medical. There's no basis in economics. There's no basis in reality to do this except to punish a state that is doing it better than what his experts have recommended. Biden is a lockdowner. His advisors are lockdowners. Lockdowns don't work. We've demonstrated that. We're not turning back, Maria, and they will not be able to get away with targeting Florida. Lockdowns don't work. Isn't it, isn't it just music to the ears to have somebody in the position of the governor of the third largest state in America say that out loud? I, I wonder, is Facebook going to censor him? Is this going to be banned from the Internet as well soon? A governor who's pointing to data and fact and showing that there was no benefit from what California did. There was no benefit from the draconian and capricious, arbitrary lockdowns of New York and New Jersey and Michigan and Illinois and Maryland. What, what, what was the benefit exactly? Well, line them up. Take a look at those states. Take a look at Florida. This is... I, we are so lucky that there's one governor of a state of that size. I know people would say, oh, but what about, look, they're always going to knock South Dakota for having, you know, less people than Jersey City or something altogether. I mean, that's not a correct comparison, but they're always going to say it's too spread out and they're not enough people. So it doesn't count. That's the claim, right? It's too spread out. There are not enough people. So Florida, they can't say that. It's over 20 million people and there are major cities. And so it, you can look at Florida and New York and California and have a pretty close to an apples to apples comparison. Uh, but they, they hate this because they really managed a, a large part of defeating Trump. Let's be very clear about this. Yes, it was all the mail and balloting and all that stuff. But that was only possible because of covid. They leveraged covid and a lot of mistruth around covid, namely that Donald Trump was responsible for all of it to beat him. Now people are seeing it was lies. This is Buck's First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Democrats are in charge, which means that everything related to COVID should be getting better, right? I mean, policy-wise. You know, the cases are going down substantially. Hospitalizations are way down. Everything's going down. But that's because it is the middle of February. 
And as we've known all along, there is a seasonality to COVID, right? As we've known all along, COVID-19 isn't going to stay at the same level all throughout the entire year. Just as happened last time, it's going to start going down. But in areas where Democrats have clear control and can set policy, it's a mess. It's a nightmare. The CDC director, Walensky, was on Fake Tapper's show. And, and I, I got to tell you, it's, it's worth, I hate saying it's worth watching because I don't want you to get that guy any ratings. But it's, it's true that you have to watch the interview because she just is engaging in so much doublespeak. She's kind of running around in circles, spewing a whole lot of nonsense about how, well, schools should open, but they can't open until they're safe and they're safe, but they won't be safe enough until we have more safety measures, even though other schools don't have those measures. And they're sa- I mean, you just you get dizzy listening to her just talk in circles and, and she won't answer the question. Why can't we open schools like tomorrow? Kids are suffering. This is really bad. Adults, parents are suffering, too. And we're going to go through really this whole school year where where millions of public school students have been Zoom learning, which is not actually learning, as we all have found out. A whole year of this. I mean, the fact that they're not sitting around talking about how they're going to I mean, every school district in the country, every school district in the country should have summer school. All right, kids, do you I got to tell you, do you think kids would even object to this? Not that it really matters. You think after not seeing their friends, not being able to do anything for over a year? Trust me, they're sick of playing Mario Kart or whatever the kids play these days. There's only so many TikTok videos they can post and watch before actually seeing their peers and having day-to-day interaction and living life becomes something that they want again, right? So, anyway, with all that, uh, you've got this is just a piece of this interview. Uh, it, it's just blather. This woman's just just citing blather because ultimately we all know what's going on in the heads of Democrats. It's uh oh, if we open schools and everything's fine, then some people will be smart enough to figure out. Wait, why couldn't we have done this months ago? Because because th- they've said that you don't actually have to even wait to get everybody vaccinated. You got Fauci saying we need the rescue package. That means money for schools. But what exactly is that money going to buy? You're going you're to mask up children? You know, there's a, a, a study. It's not yet peer reviewed, so they're going to knock it down. But there's a study out there about masking of kids and, and how it gives them uh, headaches and, and it's, you know, creates anxiety. And there are really our drawbacks. We, we're so gaslit in this country that the idea of not being able to breathe normally and freely is considered not an imposition at all. It's no big deal. Doctors, people say doctors do it when they're working, not when they're going to the grocery store, not when they're walking on the street, not when they're taking Fido for a stroll out in the park alone. No one does that, except now we have to all do it. You don't think that has psychological effects? It's dehumanizing. You walk around, you can't see anyone else's face. It's a constant reminder, we're sick. Be scared. Be compliant. Anyway, here's this uh, this CDC director who is is just just a, awful, just awful. Walensky, play 16. 
Well, there, we need to make sure that all of those steps are happening. And it's masking, it's distancing, it's potting and, and cohorting of the younger children. It is, you know, cleaning of surfaces, it's hand washing, and it's contact tracing and diagnostic testing in an efficient manner in collaboration with departments of public health. Not all schools are able to do all of those things right now. And many of those schools are in red zones. So we need to make sure that as we come out of the red zones and do our part as a society to get down from red to lower area, uh, um, rates of transmission. And we need to do the work to get all of those mitigation strategies up and running in all of these schools. The American Rescue Plan has resources, $130 billion of resources to facilitate and help schools get there. And that's really why we want, we're pushing for the rescue plan so that we can facilitate getting those schools, all of those uh, mitigation measures so that they can open safely. $130 billion for schools, folks. That's what this is about. You hear that? She just sort of threw it in there. $130 billion for schools. In addition to their normal budget, which is already bloated and huge. And this woman, what she's saying is, is so stupid. This is the CDC director. What she's saying is so dumb. We're going to have test and trace strategies in place in schools yeah how's test and trace going for the adults out there for the last oh let's say nine months it's a joke they're not they're not tracing anything there's too many cases it's everywhere it's all over the place they're gonna try test and trace is supposed to be we find the case we find everyone you've talked to we make sure that they quarantine we stop the we stop the virus from spreading is there any basis to believe that has worked anywhere in the united states so far i ask you that and I have to bring this up. They, they'll say, well, test and trace was really effective with Ebola. Okay, yeah, which means, you know, if you get someone with Ebola's blood in your eyes or, you know, in your system, that's a, that's a very different thing. If someone on the subway uh, coughs in their hand and then coughs in the air a little bit and, you know, sub-microscopic sub particles find their way into your nose... That could happen and you won't know it. If someone coughs blood in your face, I think you're going to know. I, I think you're going to know. A lot easier to test and trace that. They also say test and trace is very effective with syphilis and, and other uh, STDs. Right. There's a reason for that. But no, they're going to test and trace with an aerosolized virus that is in a pandemic situation. Millions and millions and millions of cases all across the country. Think about that. Think about the resources involved. But they're still talking about this like it's not idiotic because this is just their, bureauc uh, their bureaucracies and these, these are their policies and this is what they're going to do. This is what they're going to say. And you sit around and you go, well, well, hold on a second. Uh, what exactly does that mean for the schools? Because they're never going to get these policies and everything up and, and in place potting them, social distancing them. I mean, they're going to send the kids into school and treat it like it's some kind of weird science experiment. Masks, plexiglass. The fundamental reality is that it is reasonable and safe and responsible from the, from the perspective of child safety to let your kid go into school with no mask on. Just go into school because they're not at risk. That's what's actually been shown by all of the numbers. And it's very unlikely that they can even pass it to anybody else because their system clears it so quickly. That is what the data has told us. 
but they refuse. They refuse. That's the rational conclusion here. Not we need to do 50 things and spend $120 billion. If this mentality persists, we're never going to go back to normal. And don't you see, they're going to let this recede, but they're going to keep this whole health bureaucracy and this health autocracy in place. And then they'll, the, the moment, oh, we, gotta, we think there's going to be a big flu season, they're going to come back with all this stuff all over again. You know, we've got to have social distancing. Gotta, you know, how many times have I been wrong about this stuff so far? I ask you that. I know it, sounds, it might sound crazy right now, but CDC just came out with double masking. Do you think that was maybe to cover for Fauci when he went out and said, yeah, double masking, and then they realized they had no data? Oh, and then within two weeks of Fauci saying it, they've got data, hard and fast data. Yeah, they just figured it out. You think through this and you realize how stupid all of it is and how these people are lying to you and there's so much cowardice around this issue and it's causing a lot of pain. It's causing a lot of emotional and psychological damage and anxiety and for people who think that that's not real, it is very real. The suicide rate, the drug abuse rate, you know, the, the destruction of families that's occurring. You know, it's like we're all living as, in this, this prison state. And they're always convincing the prisoners that it's for their own good, that they don't want freedom. You don't want freedom. It's too dangerous for you to be free. This is what the, this is what the state, the big S state is now telling you. That's why so many people are going down to Florida and breathing some fresh air in metaphorically and literally and, and being out and saying, Hold on a second. There's there is still the possibility of living in America still exists. We can choose to live in America again. We don't have to be in this bureaucrat autocracy where the Fauciites get to just make it up as they go along. And anybody who challenges it gets shouted down. I mean, the stuff that people say to me online, the, the things that are written to me, I'm like, I don't care. These people are morons and, you know, we're all on borrowed time anyway. So what are you going to live in fear? But the stuff that the idiots say about anybody like me who challenges the, cons- the shifting consensus. They'll say that science is settled as though it's etched in granite, and then a week later they'll take sledgehammers to that piece of granite and they'll you know, etch it on another one, a, whole, a totally different rule or a totally different conclusion. And they keep doing this to us. Oh, it's done. This is the right way. And then a few weeks or a few months later, it's, oh, it turns out that wasn't the right. Now it's done. It's the right way. And if at any point you say, well, hold on a second. Can we have more of a discussion about this? People say the most horrible things to you. You don't care about people dying. You don't care about all the terrible things that are happening. No, I care about all of the terrible things that are happening, including the destruction of livelihoods and lives from policies rooted in panic and control and arrogance. There's so much arrogance in all of this, too something we don't nearly talk about enough, these bureaucrats, these health professionals, politicians, they, they have to believe, they, they insist at some level that it has been in their power to shut this whole thing down. It has been in their power to make this whole thing stop. You, you know what the, the point of failure has been? You, me and you, we are the point of failure. Not their policies, not their pompous pronouncements it's that we didn't do a good enough job listening to them they really believe that 